Brother Franklin is impressed. Thank you so much. Welcome to Education Week. It's time to begin. Note that the program updates are now online and you can refer to the Education Week homepage on the front cover of your schedule booklet for the link. Please be sure that your cell phones and your other electronic devices are turned off or silenced before class begins. And please note that audio and video recordings of the presentations are not allowed. And no food is allowed in this venue. Please review these and other classroom etiquette items on page 47 of the class schedule booklet. And again, thank you for your cooperation in moving to the right side of the room. Sister Deborah Terry from Cedar City will give us an opening prayer. Our dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be gathered here for the enlightening experience that we have here. We pray for thy spirit to be with the speaker and with us, and that throughout the day we may be guided to the right classes, to the right messages, that the Holy Spirit may instruct us. We love thee, we are grateful unto thee, and we say this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. Well, we decided to do things a little different today for those who were crazy enough to come back and were here yesterday. We decided to start early. Since yesterday, we started late. But the only downside to that, for those who may not have been here, is yesterday, I was actually a little grateful for some of the technical challenges we had getting the slides up. Because I had plenty of things I could blame if everything went poorly, right? You know, if things had just started a little more smoothly, maybe it would have gone okay. I'm left without any excuses. It's all on me whether or not anything of interest actually happens in the next 50 minutes or so. So if you actually did warm one of these seats yesterday and came back, you're a little crazy and I'm really grateful. Uh, if you did not and you just happened to be here or were dragged here by your spouse, thank you. And the seats are probably comfortable enough for early morning napping. Uh, but there, there are some things that uh, I'll talk about that may seem a little heavy on the science side. To those of you who are familiar with scientific uh, nature of light, maybe a little light. Puns are very welcome, by the way, whenever talking about light. Um, but I do want to start today by uh, mentioning something that happened just, just this morning, okay? So, uh, you know, this is, I give a lot of lectures as part of my, my career. I'm a professor at Duke University, uh, but none of them have to do with the religious nature of light, the spiritual aspects of most anything. Uh, it's mostly about nanomaterials and emerging transistor technologies, which I know sounds even cooler. Uh, but we're going to talk about light today. And, uh, but because of that, it's, it, I get nervous for me to, to prepare for a message that I don't get the chance to give all that often, in spite of the excitement I have about it. So this morning, uh, I got up early to do some final preparations, and uh, I, I felt okay, but uh, was, was admittedly still feeling a little bit of the gap between where I hoped I was and where I presently felt. I'm sure you felt that gap in your life with regards to just about any topic you may have experienced. And I want to tell you, that as, a, as a manifestation as early as just an hour ago, 
that I have a testimony that God speaks to me through light. Now, the choice of wording in that small phrase is, is, is every word is intentional. It's intentional that I point to God as the source of communication that I'm acknowledging. And it's intentional that I indicate the first person, me, and not us. Is that mean I don't believe that he speaks to the rest of you and there's just a beacon of light aimed right at me from the heavens? No, that's not what I intend. It's mostly to acknowledge that a lot of what I'll talk about today is personal perspective. And you may be thinking, okay, why did I wander into this place and only get this guy's perspective? It's because I think we all can admit that some access to inspiration and motivation for gospel living comes from our personal ability to understand how God works. That doesn't mean it's the definitive methodology of all of his means and approaches. It just means it's how we see him touching us. And there's physics to that. I call it spiritual physics. And there's no confined book that says exactly how all that works for every single person, just like there's no singular definitive way in which we may describe manifestations from the Spirit. But that doesn't mean it's not as real for one person as it is another. So for me, this morning, with that gap being felt and nervous energy abounding as I was driving over from my hotel, God spoke to me in a way that maybe He has spoken to you at some points in your life through light, not light that is non-visible or interpreted as a message, but just visible light. I was sitting at a stoplight, ready to turn, and as any really excellent driver in Utah does, I paid attention to everything but the road. And right in front of me was a glorious manifestation of light in the mountains. And again, just to keep with the pattern of being an excellent driver while I'm here, I stopped and took a picture. In my life. <laughs> Here's the picture. Now, it's not going to be all that impressive to you, I don't think. I mean, between the bugs splattered on the windshield and you know, the fact of the shaky quality and me trying not to cause incidents on the road. But I'll tell you, I felt the sweet peace of God's knowledge of me and of His awareness of all of you coming here to spend your time drawing closer to his light. So to see a manifestation physically that brought such a sense of his grandeur was a true gift and a communication that I will cherish. So thank you for letting me share that with you to start. So I, I mentioned this last time, so those again who were here before, forgive some repetition as I set the stage, as it were, for our discussion about the scientific and gospel truths and how in this case they will intersect with respect to light. About me, I come from Arizona originally. I joined the church as a young teenager and served a mission in the beautiful state of Georgia. I'm married with three children. And uh, they, in fact, my wife was here with me. She just left this morning. That's probably another reason for my heavy heart is that uh, she was only here a few days. If you were here and heard my story yesterday about my 13-year-old answering our front door to tell a stranger that his parents were on vacation, maybe that's one of the reasons she decided to go home. She, she'd already intended on going. Uh, but we have lived a number of places. I mentioned being at Duke and loving the intersection of science and the gospel. 
So we're going to do a little icebreaker like we did last time if you were here. If you weren't here, totally fine. Just open your phone and if this cooperates, give it a moment. Sometimes it takes a moment. If it doesn't, we will have to move on. Uh, but it, it should come up with a QR code for you to enter. Let me try it again and see if I can convince it that it's worth doing. Let's see. Oh my gosh, you all got it right. You all got it right. That's, 
Why are you here? All right, let's see. What about this? What is, sorry, I have to keep moving it back over here. Uh, what, what is the scientific term for light? The most definitive scientific term for light. Okay, I'll qualify that a little better. And here's some, and maybe you're responding, and others. Uh, let's see what you got. Ooh, good, I got a distribution that time. Um, so, energy wave, actually, I mean, that's an okay, it's not, it's not false. Uh, illumination, okay, not false. Bright stuff, also not false. <laughs> but electromagnetic radiation is the definitive uh, scientific term for light. We'll learn a little bit about why that's the case in a moment. And all light is visible, true or false? False, definitely false, very good. Laser pointer like that, 
and he talked about all of the things he discovered as he approached the study of fish. The audience was amazed, and oohs and ahs emitted from him. After he got done speaking, he went back down to the audience, and the next speaker got up. It just so happens that the next speaker was also a fish scientist who built a cabin by a lake instead of a stream. And in that lake, he did some scuba diving. He observed the fish in their habitat. He caught some of the fish and kept them in a little fish tank so he could learn about their overall life cycle, their behaviors. He gained all of this amazing information using completely different methodologies to his colleague. And you can see the reaction. Some in the audience, who's in Oz again. But the previous presenter was completely flummoxed by these new revelations that were supposedly about the same fish. So he got into a debate. They both talked about how they approached finding this information and really trying to address the question, what is the fish? They battled and battled and never came to a resolution. Ultimately, both returning home, never realizing that connecting their two study grounds was that stream. And so the approach to truth, one, you could say, a scientific methodology, the other, perhaps, a religious or theological methodology, and yet never realizing that they were all after the same thing and all building on that same thing. This quote from Dr. Johnny Woodsow says, scientific truth cannot be theological lie. To the same mind, theology and philosophy must harmonize. They have the common ground of truth on which to meet. So, let's take that little parable and that concept of this ground of commonality for truth, and let's apply it to life. Let's not think that we have to know definitively all the things that we make connections for. Let's just do some exploring together. Let's consider what we have learned about light scientifically, and then let's juxtapose that with what we know about light from the scriptures, how it is testified to behave, how it is obviously used in many instances, and let's see what we might find in terms of correlation between these two things, okay? Undoubtedly, as we talk about this, you will have insights that will never show up on the slide or leave my books. Because the most beautiful thing about talking through this type of connectivity, of common ground for truth, is that we all have something unique to find, to discover, to experience about it. So this graphic is meant to give us an overview of light. And to some of you, it might be rudimentary. To others, it might be completely mind-blowing. So just bear with me for all of you that I that walk through it for just a moment, okay? Let's start up here. You all know what this is. It's a flashlight. It's emitting light that is visible in this case. If you were to break that light down to its smallest constituent, it would be what we call a photon. A photon is a, an energetic wave, some made that correct assumption about the scientific terminology, uh, that is composed of two orthogonally combined energetic waves. Orthogonally it just means they're twisted by 90 degrees. One of those is an electric field, the other is a magnetic field. You actually experience these fields many times. You've experienced electric field effects when you scuff your feet on the carpet and touch something to produce a shock. That is an electric field because a charge will build up on you in contrast to the object you touch. 
And you've all experienced the magnetic field by putting something on your fridge, most likely, or maybe even in other instances. Those are invisible fields of real force. You have probably never once questioned their existence, even though you've never seen them. Isn't that amazing? You have experienced them, the effects of them, but never have you had visual evidence of their reality. Allow the same to be true about anything else that comes down to gospel-related truths. So if you were to look down into the guts of this photon, you would see that these electric field and magnetic fields, they move together. They're never apart from each other. In fact, you could even think that one is creating the other. So they, they are this harmonious sort of wave that, that live together. And they are always moving. And they move like a wave, up to down, up to down, in terms of the amplitude that you see in the different fields. And so it's propagating in a certain direction. That's why there's an arrow here, an arrow here. And it's why when you turn a flashlight on, it goes in a direction, right? And it doesn't just stay immediately in front of the light. I have even cooler toys I'll show you in a second. Uh, so, so this is the basic construct of light. It's, it's these energetic photons that are called electromagnetic waves because they combine electric fields and magnetic fields, hence electromagnetic. And the wave indicates that it's always in motion. I really want you to think about that for a minute. I compare this oftentimes to a wave in the ocean, even though it, the comparison is, is relatively loose, but one thing they have very much in common. Does a wave in the ocean exist if it stops moving? Of course not. The wave is the motion. And the same comes with light. There is no light that is stationary by its definition. In fact, by its very central meaning and, and purpose, it is a constant. It is the very crux of Einstein's theories of relativity, that light must be constant. So time and length must change. So everything centers on the constant nature and the constant motion of light. So, more about light comes to seeing how broad of properties it can have. Now, I say broad properties not because there's different properties, but that the value, the, the magnitude of these properties will change. Three properties in particular, wavelength, frequency, and energy. These, honestly, they can be used almost synonymously when talking about light. Not perfectly. There's an indirect dependence and a direct that we won't dissect. I promise my wife not to put any equations on the slide. So no equations. I, I just will call it direct and indirect. But, but the wavelength is like if you have a wave, it's the length of the wave from one peak to the next. The frequency is how many of those waves will fit over a certain length if it's moving at a certain speed. And then the energy is a relationship that brings in quantum mechanics into the picture. And so, again, we're not going to dissect that in this class, I apologize. Uh, maybe tomorrow. So, the common names that you see if you change the wavelength of light, you change, or the frequency or the energy, again, they're connected, you change the different classifications that we have made for light. So, visible light that you can see, what enables you to see, is a tiny little portion of this broad spectrum. And this is just our known or measurable spectrum of light that exists, okay? So you can see going all the way up to gamma rays and all the way down to radio frequencies. All of those are light. In fact, 
If you think about what light is capable of, this is the last slide I made this morning. It took about four seconds, and it probably could be twice as long, okay? But it was just me saying, i got to put some of this information on here. Radiating light from all things, we'll talk about that today. Being detected in distinct ways, we'll talk about that. And tomorrow, we'll talk about how light is used for virtually all forms of communication. This was one of the cool experiences early on when I started to really put together my thoughts on light into a, a combined study. And I was sharing it with some folks, and I remember my father-in-law, who's a general lover of science and, and really has it mastered pretty well, uh, he was really blown away to think that all forms of communication were light waves. It just wasn't something he really processed before, that radio waves, cell phone waves, satellite waves, Wi-Fi signals, all of it is just light. It's just information embedded and extracted from light. So as a communication transmission medium, it is the very crux of our modern day technologies. So we'll talk about that tomorrow, and then preparing us to see the Savior. So, okay, my technology has not behaved super well yet, but this is too cool of a thing to not try. So let me, give me just a second to see if I can get my whole setup here to behave. Okay, it's gonna behave amazing. We're not over the finish line yet though, okay. So what I'm going to do is show you one of my cool toys. The, you know a great thing, uh, and a little advice for some of you here, if you, if you have a hobby, uh, something you really enjoy, and you spend years studying it, you might get away with buying things related to it with, with spousal approval, okay? So for me, love light. So I've got a lot of toys for light. And so this is one of my toys that, of course, started working and is now uh, giving a little bit of a fit. So let me see if I can get it back up there. Hold on. And so a perfect black body scientifically is 
one that the only way light can come off of it is if it is emitting light. Because nothing of all wavelengths is going to reflect from it. And so what they discovered 150 years ago or so is that if you had a near-perfect scientific black body, it's still radiating light. So that radiation you're looking at is thermal radiation. It's based on the fact that we are not at absolute zero, thankfully. So we all are radiating light that is based on the amount of thermal energy that we have. And that's why you all appear a little brighter in our little image. Now this image was created by converting your invisible infrared radiation into visible light on this picture. Okay? So this is a common technology. Many of you maybe have even used it in the form of night vision, for instance, which is a form of infrared radiation detection. But it gives you an awareness of the reality of emitting light even without you being fully cognizant of it. So here's a couple other examples, okay? So this is a black body radiation example showing the difference between what you see visible color from by normal interactions versus what is radiated by black body radiation. Sometimes black body radiation can actually be visible. So fire poker, if you take a black fire poker, you stick it in the fire, you, know, you all would predict it glows red or orange hot. But you're not actually seeing the color of the poker, it's still black. What you're seeing is that you've changed the thermal energy of that portion, and it's now emitting new black body radiation that's visible. Okay, and that is visible in the glows yellow and orange. Same goes here, this is like the image that we just did of our awesome uh, little photo, uh, but it just gives you the, the fact that it's different from what would block that light uh, in terms of visible light versus infrared. So, radiating light, it is a scientific truth that all matter radiates light. Well then, if we think about the gospel truth from Dr. Covenants 131, there is no such thing as immaterial matter. All spirit is matter but it is more fine or pure and can only be discerned by pure eyes. Is it not that much of a stretch then to say we all radiate spiritual light? If scientifically it's a maxim of emission of light based on energy that is thermal, then why not a maxim of spirit matter to emit light on energy that is spiritual? We learn this in a lot of ways from the scriptures, and we'll come back to this verse a few times in the next 15 minutes or so, that you are the light of the world, or we are the light of the world from the Savior. And we're going to dissect this one piece at a time. So we're going we're to start, I'll come back to it in a moment, but we'll start with the you are the light of the world portion. So this is a magnificent quote from President David O. McKay. He was a lover of light in that he spoke frequently about it. If you want to know well, who would you classify a lover of light among our current church leadership, I would say Elder Wittdorf has spoken probably the most frequently. Elder Bednar has phenomenal analogies about light and revelation. Okay? Also, I think, a lover of, of the concepts of light. But President McKay says, Every person who lives in this world wields an influence, whether for good or for evil. It is not what he says alone. It is not alone what he does. It is what he is. Every man, every person radiates what he or she is. Every person is a recipient of radiation. The Savior was conscious of that. Whenever he came into the presence of an individual, he sensed that radiation. Whether it was the woman of Samaria with her past life, whether it was the woman who was to be stoned or the men who were to stone her, whether it was the statesman Nicodemus or one of the lepers, he was conscious of the radiation from the individual. 
and to a degree, so are you, and so am I. It is what we are and what we radiate that affects the people around us. Fascinating, right? So there's a lot to, to build out of these concepts that Resident McKay's brought up. So let's start with that ye are the light of the world, that we are radiating this light. So to, do, to talk about this more, let's think about how light is generated for just a moment. There are many, there are many, in fact, I'm not going to spend time on it in this talk just for the sake of time, but there are many ways that light can be generated, and uh, one of them is that it can be through electroluminescence. That would be in the way of this flashlight that I pulled up earlier that will create light because there's a bulb in that light flashlight and there is batteries. Now, I, I hope you realize this is not storing light because nothing can store light. So there's no light you know, storage medium in here that I'm draining. All I have in this is the ability to generate light. And so I have some energy source in the form of batteries and a bulb, and when I apply the circuit, that close the circuit, it generates a light. Now it's much cooler actually if you look at light being generated using things like lasers. So for instance, this is a green laser you can see on the wall over there, and you can kind of see the beam from the interactions with things around it. And you can even see the difference in intensity between, say, this green laser and this green laser. Right? So they're both green, same wavelength of light, but one of them is a much higher intensity laser than the other. Now a much higher intensity laser that I can only give a quick flash of is this one, because that's blue and really dangerous high intensity actually. I'll do it one more time so you can see it. So all of them are generating light that is, in this case, of various wavelengths, but there are different properties to that. And it's a matter of converting energy into light when it's generated. You know, if we stopped talking even just right here and you left the room with nothing more than an enhanced awareness of this fact, I think you might be just a little more aware of how you feel of light than you were before we started. That you realize you cannot store it. You hear this about testimony all the time. And short shelf life or faith in testimony. And this is a great way for you to realize that when it comes to how light works. So what determines brightness of radiation then? Well, if we go to the scriptures and think about it as spiritual light radiation, look at the first verse here. Then, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Then in 1 John, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light. And then finally, a very popular verse in Dr. Covenant, section 50, that which is of God is light. And he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light. So how you access greater light, how you generate greater spiritual light, is clearly connected to you following, or us following, the Savior. And I have a little analogy of this in this video. It, it gives me a chance to give a demonstration. Uh, and the sound, these guys did amazing work to try to connect it. It may not be super, super clear, but we'll play it and see if you can understand what it is I'm saying in the video. Nope, can't hear electricity. Ah, you guys are close. Okay, let me go on. Light content reacts with the metal inserts to... Okay, so I'm talking about these lemons. When you take a lemon and you insert two dissimilar types of metal that have different reactions at them, you can make use of the acidic nature of the lemon to transport charge, electrical charge using ions inside this acid. So it's acidic, it's acidic, you know, so that works pretty well. 
potatoes are also a viable option in this case. So you poke this metal into the lemons, and then you complete a little circuit. You basically wire them together, and you get energy out of them. Okay, there's no battery at all in this little circuit that I have, and listen to what I say. electricity, and thus generate light when connected to this small lamp. The more lemons, the more energy, and thus the greater light. With only three lemons, the lamp barely lights up. But with six, the illumination is increased considerably. Just having a lemon nearby does not change the illumination. It must be integrated into the circuit. You can think of each righteous action in your life as another lemon, powering spiritual light illumination. President Direct with your content. No, not Direct with your actually Elder Hales. Uh, so this analogy from Elder Hales, which I'm just gonna summarize, it's very long in the quote, but he tells this, this excellent story about when he was a boy and riding a bicycle, he had a little generator. Some of you may have this on your own bicycles, where as you pedal, it would generate light out of a little light bulb on the front of the bike. And the harder you pedal, the more light that can come out of it. You can buy these as little flashlights these days if you have a little crank on. And so he related that to the generation of spiritual light, that it needed to be renewed in a on a regular basis. And the last line here, the generation of spiritual light comes from daily spiritual peddling. It comes from praying, studying the scriptures, fasting, and serving, from living the gospel and obeying the commandments. Okay, so here's another version of how we can imagine this working for generating spiritual light using a different type of circuit. This simple circuit has three components. An energy source in the form of batteries, a light source that converts the energy into light, and a variable resistor that increases the amount of energy delivered to the lamp as the resistance is reduced by sliding the smoke. An electrical resistor is actually composed of an electrically conductive material that is filled with impurities. The more impurities, the higher the resistance. Reducing the impurities then reduces the resistance and allows more energy to be to light. Keep this analogy in mind as you consider the following. This is okay. You get that kind of roughly, but basically, a resistor, an electrical resistor, is a component in a circuit that limits the amount of energy that's delivered to the rest of the circuit. The greater the resistance, the less energy is going to make it by. The way that we physically make some of these resistors is simply by introducing impurities into an otherwise electrically conductive material. I love the comparison in that regard to our generation of spiritual light from having the spirit with us. I'll tell you, as going into this little brief analogy here, there's, a, there's this concept that I've struggled with for a number of years about the Holy Ghost, where we would often hear folks talk about having the Holy Ghost sort of with us, you know, a piece of the Holy Ghost, a part of the Holy Ghost, you know, and, and that never really made sense to me. The, the Holy Ghost is a, as a member of the Godhead, as an influencer upon all, I didn't really think that you could have a part of it. Like, you opened the gift, you received the gift, do you just take a little piece of the gift with you? I, I just don't understand how that could be partitioned in such a way. And so, the way that I envision this working is not to partition the presence of the Holy Ghost being with us, I, I see that more as binary. It's more about how much we allow the influence of that gift to power our own generation of spiritual life. So think about it like this. We all have a life of Christ given to us that's established well throughout the scriptures, and it provides a steady influence for good. That would be like this little circuit. 
I've just got wires, that's like our soul, and it connects to a light bulb, and there's just a little bit of light coming out. There's no energy source connected yet, but it does have a little bit of light coming out. That little light, I call it spiritual luminescence, that's just something that is always there. It's the conscience, if you will, the part of the light of Christ that will guide me and all with respect to knowing what is good and what is evil. And then, if we complete the circuit, we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we get a power source, okay? We get an energy source that can deliver greater illumination from that light bulb, or the light of Christ that we all have within us. Now, that light bulb is capable of all light radiation. If we had no resistance to the Holy Ghost, we could then discern or have received all light. Or in other words, comprehend all things. That's something we'll talk about tomorrow, actually, in the class, is communicating and being able to comprehend all things. But in this case, it's just a matter of what happens as you change the resistance. If you reduce the impurities in your life, you reduce the resistance to the Holy Ghost. Reducing that resistance gives you greater access to the power of the Holy Ghost in its illumination of this light of Christ within you so that you can increase that radiation by so doing. So if you think about uh, this connection between the light of Christ and the Holy Ghost, I would argue there's hardly a more confusing aspect of restored gospel truth. The light of Christ and the Holy Ghost are non-trivial in terms of connecting their attributes, their titles, and their overall impact on us. And so, just to give you how, uh, an indication of how clearly we, we acknowledge that, this is from the Bible Dictionary. It says, Biblical phrases that are sometimes synonymous to the term light of Christ are our spirit of the Lord and light of life. The spirit of the Lord, however, sometimes is used with reference to the Holy Ghost. You're welcome, just to keep things interesting. And so must not be taken in every case as referring to the light of Christ. What do we do? Which one is it talking about in any given scripture? I think that there is some openness for interpretation, but... You know, as a really nerdy scientist, I did the only thing that you could do. I created a very long table. <laughs> so it will take three slides to get through this table, believe it or not. But I'm not going to read every line, nor are we going to read every verse. However, I will point out a few things. If you look at the comparison between the light of Christ and the Holy Ghost with respect to titles, the bold titles are the ones that they share in common. That's where it can get a little confusing, where in one instance it's speaking about the life of Christ and the other the Holy Ghost. Isn't that amazing? Because there's definitely a distinction, a very important one between these two. The Holy Ghost is a member of the Godhead, and the light of Christ is not. The light of Christ is to be referred to as it. It is a power. It is the law by which all things are governed. And so this, this contrast, it actually makes it even more surprising that there are any similarities between um, look at this next one. This is attributes. In this case, there's no bold, so there's nothing that's shared between them, but there are several that are italicized. In other words, the direct opposite of each other. Not a personage, personage of spirit, as one example. Given to every person will not always strive with us. Okay, so there's some distinctions that, that are important for keeping in mind between these two. And then lastly, the purpose for us which is there are similarities for how we are guided to what is good or right, but there are also differences in terms of the lasting nature of quickening understanding versus the specific bearing witness of the Father and Son and so forth.
Now there has been some really great commentary on this throughout the years from modern prophets. And here's just a few of those perspectives. Think about the little analogy of the circuit and the light bulb and all that when you think about these teachings. The gift of the Holy Ghost confers upon one, as long as one is worthy, the right to receive light and truth. How about this one from, uh, from President Brigham Young? The Holy Ghost influences people through the increased rays of that light which lighteth every person that cometh into the world. How about that for interworkings between these two? Finally, from President Joseph Fielding Smith, when it becomes necessary for the Holy Ghost to speak to us, he is able to do so by acting through the other spirit, that is, through the light of Christ. So this synergy between the Holy Ghost and the light of Christ is pivotal to receiving things from the Lord. Okay, I'm going to accelerate a little bit here because uh, I want to make sure I get through the rest of this material. So forgive me if I blast by a couple of slides. Um, blocking light is something that I included here. Uh, I think it's a little obvious that you can put something in the way of light and keep it from getting to its destination. And that, I, I think, scripturally comes down to hardness of heart and blindness of mind. Uh, there's truths behind this that light must be generated. We talked about that. And it varies in brightness. Cannot, and it can be blocked. So gospel truths that connect to that, those are like our bushels, right? So neither do we light candles and put them under bushels. So also does it come to our radiation and delivery of spiritual light. So forgiveness and hope is a big part of this. And love the connection to Nephi. I mean, no matter how you illustrate or, or animate Nephi's story, it all looks pretty simple, right? He's getting beat up by his brothers. And so no matter which depiction you go with, he had it pretty badly. And yet, one of the most astonishing things to me about Nephi is that he let his light shine in spite of attempted obstacles and attempted barriers such as the meanness and downright abusiveness of his family members. He, this is one of the most astonishing things that I think he says in all of the book of 1 Nephi. I had joy and great hopes of them that they would walk in the paths of righteousness. I mean, how is that possible? Given what they have resisted, given their past feeling nature, given the amount of times that they have abused him, and he refused not to see that there was hope there, letting that light shine regardless of the obstacles. Okay, so I'm actually going to skip this one, unfortunately. I apologize for that. But I do want to get to our last topic here, which is the detection of light. So we talk about radiating light and their little stick figure guy radiating light, but also there is detection of that spiritual light. So get this. I, I learned this from a professor that I took uh, uh, atomic transistors from and in my PhD. Does that sound like an awesome class? So it was not. It was terrible. It was really, really boring and difficult to understand. But here's the best thing I learned. The professor, every single slide that he used, he used Comic Sans font. You know what that is? That, this is Comic Sans, right? Yeah. Isn't that awesome? And, and you know, there was this thing in your brain that's just like, oh, that should be easy. It's Comic Sans, right? I mean, I, 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 who couldn't and so I put this one in Comic Sans. So you can get that feeling. You can get those same sort of motivations. All right, so electromagnetic radiation or light can range from low to high energy. Good, we covered that. At either extreme, the radiation will pass through most objects, except for those that are very thick, 
especially for low energy light. Think about losing radio signal when you drive through mountains. Or have a unique atomic structure for absorbing light. Think about the lead shields that are used when you're getting x-ray radiated. The rest of the light will be absorbed or reflected by objects, including the body, depending on the atomic structure. So the thickness of the material, and, or the object, and um, the, the atomic structure both matter when it comes to whether light is going to interact, absorb, be reflected, and so forth. So that brings me to one of my show and tells, and the last show and tell of the day. I know, it's hard to see, but isn't it so cool looking? It's not chicken wire. It's actually an atomic model that looks like the one that you see on the slide, if you can't see it from where you're sitting, of um, a structured material called graphene. Graphene is the thinnest known material that is stable in the whole universe. It is a single sheet of carbon atoms. Now, obviously, this isn't a real sheet. This is just an atomic model. But this is how those atoms are arranged in the sheet. And, you know, you've actually interacted with graphene in its stacked up form. When you stack many layers on top of each other, it creates graphite. And every lead for pencils has been made from graphite for many, many, many years. So you scrap off, you scratch off layers of graphene onto your paper to see things on the page. That's a pencil. But it's not ever at the atomic scale. It's much, much thicker than that. So we, about 15 years ago, became capable of isolating single atomic layers of graphene. In fact, the Nobel Prize was issued for that uh, particular ability in 2010. And it, what's great about graphene is that if you were to hold it, if you had a sheet of graphene like this holding between your fingertips, a single atomic layer, it would be totally invisible to, to visible light. It would pass right through it, no matter how you help it. It's too thin. Everything would go right through. But if you lay graphene down onto a substrate, detectable interactions with light are created. The mere presence of a single atomic layer of material transforms how light interacts with the substrate. So you can see an example of this from an optical microscope here. These are layers of graphite. You can see them really well, nice and thick. This guy here, I bet you can see him right there. You're looking at a single sheet of atoms. That is interaction of visible light, not an electron microscope, with a single sheet of atoms that you can see. Now think about that. Back to our connection that we were making in these scriptures. No such thing as immaterial matter. All spirit is matter, but it is more fine or pure. And then you think about the fact that the dead had looked upon the long absence of their spirits from their bodies as a bondage. It seems appropriate to me that we can conclude having spiritual matter placed into a physical body will enable unique interactions with certain types of life. We learn that from any known material we can observe down to the atomic scale when it comes to scientific studies. Why not also the comparison then to our own spiritual bodies? We can see throughout our theology that we stand out for our perspective on the soul being the spirit and the body. I won't read this wonderful quote from Elder J.G. Talmadge, but you can certainly walk take a picture if you like. Uh, but he highlights the unique nature of this particular doctrine in our theology. So I want, and this is another one, I'm not going to read all these quotes to you, but I'll put it up there so you have them. I just want to point out that you all likely suffer in some way with respect to the body that you have. I think we all do in some way, some far more than others. But making this less about a comparison 
and more about an individual experience, realize that no matter how your body looks, no matter how it physically functions, nothing can limit it from providing the substrate of light recipient from God. You have the power to receive information from Him because of that physical body. So that power is unable to be inhibited by all of the other physical constraints that may be manifest. I hope you can feel the glory and the majesty of that gift. It's a gift that Christ was clear about as being critical for all of our eternal exaltation. I mean, there are likely lots of reasons that the Savior only was, in terms of his physical body, entombed for a few days, but I gotta imagine at least one of them was because of how critical, how complete a spirit plus body are for us accessing fullness of light in all that we do. So keep that in mind with some of these quotes if you decide to go back and read them later about the difference between resurrected bodies and how they have difference in light. So detection of light happens in a process that is very complex. This slide is meant to do nothing more than make you say, oh wow, that's really complex. And so here you go. That is how light interacts with a flower petal. If it makes you feel better, the authors of this scientific paper said, this is a simplified diagram of the propagation of insulin. Okay? So the, the point of this is to say, it's complex. I mean, even when we study a very specific way that light interacts with something very visible, there's a lot going on. And I have no doubt the same is true with how spiritual light interacts with all of us. Okay, I'm going to go on here to get us towards, uh, towards a wrap-up here. Physical light from uh, overall properties that we've discussed today, from the lasers that I showed you, uh, to flashlights and all the other examples, it has certain properties that you have been detecting your entire life. You've detected things without even calling them by these names. And that's a, a bit of a summary list. And that's a picture I took because it just looks nice. It gives you something to look at more than words. Spiritual light also has detectable properties. These include things like the past life for someone, as in the example of the woman from Samaria. Thoughts. There are endless examples from the Savior's ministry and the ministry of so many others. Just search in your scripture app the word perceive and see how many times things are perceived by that spirit. Feelings, emotions, righteousness, faithfulness, preparation for the gospel in Alma's uh, appropriate turn to those who were humble. Yes, he saw their desperate circumstances, but he also indicated awareness of their inner preparation of humility and realness of intent. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go straight on to our to our end. Actually, I want to give you a picture of this if you want to. William George Jordan was an author. A lot you probably heard of C.S. Lewis, and you probably never heard of William George Jordan. But I would say William George Jordan was like the C.S. Lewis uh, of the previous generation, like one generation before him. And in fact, Hubert J. Grant, in the early 1900s, he was a mission president out in, uh, in the UK and in, in British Isles, and he fell in love with the work of William George Jordan. So much so that he not only bought 4,000 copies of this book, uh, this is called Self-Control of Kingship and Majesty, he also, when William George Jordan died in 1933, uh, through Deseret Book, he purchased the plates, the printing plates, for this book. 
Mohiba J. Grant. So there, there was a lot of, of real love for his writing as, as a Christian writer, much like C.S. Lewis. And his quote is phenomenal. I forgive, please forgive the fact that it is only in masculine pronouns. It's, it's a 1900 you know, era thing. It is universal, okay? And so I, I commend it to you. Uh, but, but I will close with this. This is an image, a real image, a modern image of, of the earth. You are there. We are right there-ish, right? But we can't see us. In fact, this is not taken 400 years ago before we populated major portions of it. This is a recent image. Isn't it interesting that when you see it in light, there's no evidence that we are there. But when it moves to darkness, there is evidence that we indeed habitate this planet. What I want you to leave this with is a consideration. How does your soul look against the backdrop of spiritual darkness in the world? Is there life there? Is it visible? Is it evident? Is it detectable? Are there things you're doing to generate, to ensure that it is not blocked by any sort of bushels or other obstacles? So we talked about truth being a common ground for science and theology, that we all radiate light, and that letting our light shine requires ongoing faithfulness and intentional effort, and that we all detect spiritual light, even like graphene is detectable as a single layer of atoms. You guys have been uh, so great and, and giving some interaction here. I apologize I didn't have time to take questions. I promise if you come back tomorrow, this is a little commercial for you, we will have questions. Okay, I'll actually put it a little earlier in my talk. But I will close with my testimony that you are the light of the world. But even more important than you being the light of the world and me, is that you can be that light because Jesus is the light of the world. And His own light is what gives us the power to radiate, to detect, and ultimately to become like Him. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.